0: Welcome back or welcome to the Feel and Fine Equine podcast. I'm Morgan Stevens, your host, and I just have to comment on how amazing technology is these days. Like seriously, some days I don't know what I would do without it, especially in the equine industry, because there are so many amazing equine professionals out there that I don't even know or haven't heard of. And I find them through watching a reel or seeing somebody else's story about them or even just searching them on Instagram or Google, and within 0.45 seconds, 200 people pop up. And it's it's truly amazing. One of the most recent people I've come into contact with was actually through a Facebook group that I'm in, a master class equine group, and I've also come across her Instagram many times too. Balance with Betsy is an equine postural performance and behavior consultant. And she has the most amazing outlook on horses and honestly is so knowledgeable. And I very much enjoyed our interview and I can't wait for you all to hear it and maybe learn something. So please welcome Balance with Betsy, Betsy Bonda. Uh, thank you Betsy for joining me today. Uh, first off why don't you just start off with like a general history of how you got into horses uh, and kind of what you do now. For sure.
1: So thanks for having me. Um, yes I'm Betsy Vonda and I um, am now balanced with Betsy. So I grew up um, with my mom and my sister and we had a hobby farm and I've just always had horses in my life and then when I was five years old so I'm up here in Canada so we have what we would call like local club shows so they're kind of similar to 4-H I think from what I'm learning about 4-H um, where we would have you know our ponies or our horses and we kind of go for the day and then you compete in pretty much everything so you go from like you know your in-hand classes showmanship you put on your English tack and you do hunter under saddle and maybe you know jump a couple jumps and then you do Western performance and then you usually finish the day with some speed events. So I grew up um, competing in that type of situation. And then my mom was also big into um, natural horsemanship. So I grew up, you know, John Lyons and learning how to like, you know, round pen my pony and join up when I was, you know, quite young. And then I, um, I actually decided to become a paramedic. And I did take a, a short break from competing. And then it was around in, in 2007, actually, just before I went to paramedic school, um, my, my good horse, our home-bred and raised horse, he, he got really good in the speed events. So that's when I really focused in on the speed events in particular, um, barrel racing and pole bending. And I kind of left the performance stuff um, behind. And then um, when I was bringing him back into work, um, I started noticing that he had this subtle lameness. And that's what kind of started me down the journey I'm on now because I'd raised this horse and yeah. he started being subtly lame and you know I had multiple vets look at him and no one could really, you know, pinpoint what was wrong and he started having all of these behavioral changes and I'm like I've raised this horse like I've, he's never had separation anxiety sure he's like scared of plastic bags it's like his one thing that he was never really never really got over but he right. uh, yeah like he had gotten to the point where he would work himself into a full full body sweat and try and jump out of the stall. And it's like, okay, like what is Whoa. going on here? It was really bad. Yeah. Like I remember showing up and we had, my husband had bought um, an off the track quarter horse and they were staying together in the same pasture, but they were like four stalls apart. So it's not like he couldn't see her. It's not that he couldn't see other horses. And I remember him just being like beside himself and it making no sense. Cause I'm like, I've never seen this behavior and then I, um, I, I met a woman named Christine Chambers who has a PMF machine and she's MagnaWave certified. I met her at an expo and was like, hey, like, well, this sounds like it would really help my horse. Can you come out? And then I remember our first session where he went from, you know, couldn't stand still in the aisle, super agitated to like, I dropped the lead rope and he was sleeping by the end of the session. So I'm like, wow, oh, like wow. clearly this works. And then clearly there's an association between how he's feeling and how he's acting. And that was really right. what kind of started me down this path of, of rehab. And then I, you know, stumbled across Warwick Schiller and Dr. Susan Fay over in the UK and Equitopia. And then it's the right, it's like, I feel like once you start going down the rabbit hole, um, you just start meeting all of these different people and different horses. And so I originally just kind of stumbled into restarting horses because I would moved barns and and then I was you know introduced to my barn owner's warm blood who was not okay in multiple ways and then just horses I say you know continued to arrive to me to teach me the next piece of the puzzle and to continue to apply what I was learning and then I really started to see as all these kind of you know air quotes behavioral horses were arriving to me that I would find these underlying physical discomforts and then it was like, okay, this isn't just behavior. This is communication about something that's going on in their body, and they just have no other way to tell us. And then, right. And then I met my current, um, my current mentor, Celeste, um, just actually in December, when I had, um, I had this sweet little buckskin come to me who um, was not okay in every way, shape, or form. And um, and then he was diagnosed. We got, he was diagnosed with kissing spine. Um, I think five weeks after being with me. And then it was like, okay, there's, there's more to this. And then I met my current mentor, Celeste, and I will never look at a horse the same way again. (laughs) And I would say that's, that's kind of where I am now is, is having her answer all of the questions I had that no one could really answer. And I still feel like, you know, the more, you know, the more you realize you don't know, I'm still definitely, (laughs) definitely in that space, but it's been so great to meet her and, you know, have this new perspective. And then I'm, I'm a. I'm trained as a paramedic, so here in Ontario we go to school for two years, and then I'm a, I'm a paramedic. So a lot of my anatomy, physiology background, and pathophysiology comes from the understanding of the human body. But once you you know understand those core concepts, it's it's you have the ability to read equine textbooks. You have the ability to you know translate what is going on in a human nervous system. Obviously, there's differences in a, in a horse nervous system, but there are very very many alignments. Um, so that's right. what's kind of given me that unique perspective too, where I haven't been, you know, I'm not a veterinarian, I'm not a body worker, but I have this background in anatomy, physiology, and pathophys that I can understand, you know, core concepts of what's going on with horses. So I would say that's Mm, where that's really cool. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. So that's where I am today. And now I'm an equine, I'd say postural and performance consultant because I'm like, I'm not sure what else to call myself because I'm obviously so much more than a trainer, but I'm, again, I'm not a body worker per se. I'm not, you know, I haven't gone to school for rehab. I haven't done, you know, farrier school or vet school or nutrition school, but I know enough of the core concepts that I try to be an unbiased second set of eyes coming in as a trainer with this, you know, multiple lenses to help put a second set of eyes on a horse and try and figure out what what is still missing, right? Like what's this missing piece. And, you know, when you have people coming in that, you know, obviously a, a vet has a vet lens and a farrier has a farrier lens and um, you know, all of those weigh out differently when we're looking at the horse and I try and, you know, take everything in and weigh out the, the different factors. And then with this other lens of now training and development and the horse's nervous system, try and help owners kind of get to the root cause or in some cases just start a baby properly (laughs) so that they don't end up lame in the future. Right. That, that is, you know, yes, I I love, don't get me wrong. I love working with, you know, horses who are not okay, but really we would love to see this knowledge get to the point where everyone is aware of it and horses don't end up lame. Right. Like or end up unsound to the point of explosive behavior where, you know, people have missed all those subtle cues that they're not okay. Obviously it it's great that we're here and you know I I was looking at your Instagram you do some amazing things too and it's great to have all these modalities but you know we don't want them to be band-aids at the end of the day we want to make sure these horses are using themselves in a way that keeps them sound and and happy for the duration of their career and then these extras are you know supplemental to keeping them feeling their best instead of you know trying to fix problems that we could have potentially prevented in the first place
0: Absolutely, that is so wonderful. I love that. Yeah, so, do you do this full time now, or do you still are you still a paramedic? Um. So I just
1: actually took. I'm. Uh, I'm like. Oh God. How many. How many weeks pregnant am I? Am right now. So I'm 26, going 27 weeks pregnant. So I did actually take an early leave so that I could um, dive in more and just not only work with more horses, but but learn more. Like, I'm like, I have this wonderful veterinary textbook that I have great diagrams in, but I haven't had the time to just sit down and read it. So right now I would say, yeah, this is, this is pretty much, yeah, full time right now. Um, and then I'm just, uh, I am an education coordinator for the County of Simcoe and I, I so appreciate all of the opportunities I've had with them because I was hired on as a paramedic and then, went through my own series of head injuries that put me in the office and then um, was doing educational content development for emergency services. And then I moved into a position where um, I was delivering education and um, program coordination for firefighters and paramedics and um, staff in long-term care. So right now I am on a leave and this is my current, <laughs> pretty much my current full-time job um, doing this as well. And then, then we will see, because then I'm going to have a baby and we will see where my life takes me. But... Um, there's definitely a lot of a lot of horses that that need help and I'm right now it's what are we June beginning of June so I'm doing quite a bit of traveling before I'm too pregnant to travel (laughs) so it's been it's it's really fun but it's been yeah very very busy I think I'm only home for I'm definitely on the road more than I'm home for
0: this month I was gonna say it Mm -hmm. sounds like you're very busy and congratulations Mm -hmm. yeah maybe that's exciting thank you yeah Good, good timing, baby. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah, know, right.
1: yeah it, it has been uh, neat to transition. And then, yeah, that's what everyone tells me is like, this is what you think your life will be. And then you have a baby. So that's, that it all changes. It all changes. Yeah. So I have some great examples in my life of, you know, how you can find balance, but I'm definitely kind of going with the flow, I would say at this point.
0: Yeah, well, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. Thank you. So when you're uh, going or when you have appointments or when you're seeing Mm -hmm. horses and I know you do some distance stuff too. Yes. And it's probably different per horse, but Mm -hmm. what is like your average process of like what you're looking for and what, how you go through that horse?
1: Yes. So, um, I guess I'll, I'll describe what the distance sessions look like. And then it's basically just transitions to doing a lot of this in person. So when I, um, when I, you know, connect with someone and they're like, okay, I would like you to, you know, have a look at my horse. I have um, a whole set of photos and videos that I ask them to gather and um, like basically all confirmation style photos. And I actually tell people like, don't try and force your horse into a posture. I want to see them in how they're like, how they choose to stand and hold themselves in space because we can force horses to stand up square. Some of them it's very (laughs) challenging to do and you might get a moment of it. But to me, that's actually really important because horses should, you know, choose to stand relatively square. They should have these nice four, four legs underneath them. Um, so if I see a horse that can't stand up square or, you know, has legs way underneath of them or way out and, or bracing, right? Sometimes I see horses that are bracing their hind legs um, or standing very right. base narrow in the front. I actually want to see all of that. Um, so I have a whole set of photos. I asked for videos now depending on the horse, exactly. So if this is a horse who has been having some lameness, I don't want you to put them on the lunge line and trot them and lope them, right? Like I want them to just show me how your, how your horse is currently moving through space. So walk videos are sometimes that that's enough, you know, walk them past the camera, walk them forward and away from the camera. And then I have a whole set of history questions. So I basically tell people, give me everything you can think of. Like, I mean, anything you knew about this horse before you met them how they live. So are they indoor? Are they outdoor? What do they eat from? What are their feeding heights? You know, what's your farrier cycle? What are you actually feeding them? What are you supplementing? Um, what have your other body workers found? If you have other body workers, what is your vet found? Like, I'm not, you know, formally trained to read x-rays, but I can look at a kissing spine x-ray and see, you know, buildup of calcium or touching vertebrae. Like there are things that I can look at, you know, again, with understanding core concepts yeah. and see, um, you know, I can look at a hoof X-ray, and some vets have the ability to put all the measurements and markings on. But I can also look at a view and say, "Yeah, those bones are absolutely not in alignment, and that horse looks like they're, you know, negative plantar, negative Palmer." So, you know, again, this is just what I see. Confirm it with your vet. Confirm it with your farrier. But this could this this is a concern, right? Um, so I asked them to basically tell me everything and some people will apologize and say, oh, I'm sorry, I sent so much information. And I'm like, tell me everything. Because sometimes what happens is, um, things will come out after and I'm like, oh, that would have actually been important for me to know because that behavior is associated with what I'm seeing in their body. Or, you know, if they fidget, fidget when you're trying to tack them up or they're girthy or if you've treated them for ulcers and it hasn't worked or you know, what, what is their personality? Like I had this one horse in Utah and, um, you know, he was known as the grumpy old man around the barn. Well, he is no longer known as the grumpy old man. And, you know, are they mouthy? Are they busy? Like all of these behavioral traits, characteristics, you know, ticks, undesirable behaviors that come up. Like, I want to know about them all because that also tells me a lot about the horse and how they're feeling and how they're, you know, how their nervous system is surviving a human environment or not. Right. So, yeah. yeah, yeah So I want to know basically everything. And then when I actually get that information, I, I try not to actually read the history first. I want to look at the horse. I want to look at the body. I want to look at how it moves. Obviously I take all of that with a grain of salt, but, um, I guess the way my brain is, is like, I can, I can like, you know, look at these photos, then watch the horse move. And in my head, I can kind of piece it all together. So I, if I see, you know, something in this one photo and then I watch the horse move and I'm like, Oh, I pick up on that as being, you know, somewhat aligned. And then when we actually get on the virtual call, there still are other things that I have the owner actually, you know, touch and check in and see if skin moves. Like that's a very simple check that a lot of owners can do is does your horse's skin move? Or is it stuck like glue? <laughs> right. Like that's actually really important yeah. information. So um, I try and look at the horse so that I really see what the body's telling me. And then I'll go through the history and be like, okay, well, I did I saw this and this, and that correlates with this and this. And you know, this is what you're feeling under saddle. Well, this would probably confirm why that why you feel that. And I try and, you know, coordinate everything. And then if I need, you know, a couple more photos or If it's something like this is, if you haven't had a vet and you're sending me this info and I see your horse, in some cases I'm like, you need to get a vet out. Like you need to have a secondary. That's very rare that that happens. But in some cases, you know, sometimes I do recommend that, you know, if the feet are absolutely atrocious, it doesn't matter what we do posturally. um, We need x-rays and you need to potentially look for a different farrier if these feet are as bad as I have seen some feet. Because you, you can't, right? Like if you don't have a foundation to build on, it doesn't matter what you know, training or postural work we do if this horse is severely compensating because of their defeat. Um, so in some cases, it is chicken or the egg, especially with negative Palmer and the hinds, um, It's not always that your farrier has cut off your horse's heels and let their toe run. Um, in some cases, the horse has crushed that heel based on their posture and it's not your farrier's fault. So, you know, but it is something that we may need to adjust the trim in order to do the postural work. Um, I'm definitely not one to be like, yeah, you should wedge that horse three degree red wedge because in some cases that'll take away that horse's compensation pattern and they will fail and they will get worse if we change things too quickly. So in some cases, you know, I'll say you actually need to do a couple more investigations or, you know, you need to, try a couple different things before we would even get started because it just won't be beneficial to start until we address these couple other things. So that's usually what my process looks like. And then once I've had a look at everything, then we book a a time to do a virtual and um, usually people only need a tripod and a cell phone. Um, Even better if you also have earbuds and someone to hold the phone, but we, we don't need that luckily with technology. Like I I'll let people know if I can see them or not. And, And then I, you know, tell them, okay, walk the horse in this way, do this or do that. And I coach them all through, through the video, which has been super awesome to give access to this work to, to people all over the world. So it's been, um, yeah, it's been pretty awesome. And then basically the in-person, I would just be getting the info. Like I would ask the owner the questions as I walked around the horse and touched the horse myself and, and, you know, went through the body while I'm standing there as the owner is telling me, you know, why they've requested me to come out and look. So um, basically, it just, there's the two layouts of that. But when I'm in person, I can at least see the horse, touch the horse, interact with the horse in person, and then have the owner film me in in real time what that looks like.
0: Yeah, that's really cool. I love what you were saying at the beginning because I think as horse owners, sometimes we overlook those little things mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. their personality traits, like being grumpy or yep. even that they're mouthy, you know, like yep. we're just like, oh yeah, that's just them. That's just like, them. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, but it's really not like, that's mm-hmm. not normal, you know? No,
1: not normal at all. And like, even I started to say there's things that are hiding in plain sight um, like we, I was just in, um, Saskatchewan for a clinic and, um, I'd done a couple of virtuals with this owner and then, um, you know, the horse was still having this weird, like he'd lift his leg like a dog and he'd been, he'd been hung up on a panel and had some scar tissue in front of his hawk. And he would actually pick up his opposite foot and rub the scar. And he'd had a, wow. you know, a pelvic room. Have you guys heard about, have you heard about pelvic rooms where they go in and actually check for gelding scars and where the kidney and bladder and fascial restrictions internally. Um, This is fairly new, but it's actually available in our kind of central provinces. So I know there's people in Alberta, Saskatchewan and Manitoba where the vets have gone and done these extra courses and they work alongside osteopaths in some cases to do the internal work. Um, So they can go in and work on the gelding scar tissue, or I've heard of mares with like flipped ovaries. So they're able to, um, you know, realign the ovaries Um, I've heard of, yeah, like kidneys and bladders getting restricted. Um, someone was sharing in our group the other day about how the, the vet could actually feel the difference in the psoas muscle and how like, you know, in one side of this horse, the iliopsoas, um, well, one of the branches of it I think was like really hypertrophied and the other side was very weak. So they actually got a ton of information from this. So this owner had had this done in this horse and he was still having all of these weird behaviors. And then I was like, oh, my God, his freaking scar tissue. Like, And sure enough, you go to touch this horse's scar tissue, and he'd almost kick your head off. And I'm like, he's probably got like radiating pain up into his groin. The scar tissue is restricting the joint movement. And so um, she had actually just done a course with a body worker on how to, you know, do some owner, owner-driven owner body work. And one of them was releasing scar yeah. tissue. So um, over the course of the the couple days, we weren't able to – so originally his scar would not move vertically, it would only move horizontally, and I mean by millimeters, and then he would be lifting his leg or threatening to kick, and then by the time I left, he was we were actually able to mobilize the scar vertically, and he, um, but I think she told me that he backed off the trailer without issue. Like there was something significant wow. when she got home that, yeah, and I was like, but it, it can be, you know, again, that's something that's hiding in plain sight, we've all been staring at it. And, not, and he was even rubbing it with his legs like hey guys right here it's right here yeah <laughs> we were all like, kind of literally it, showing right? you literally showing us so and I I was just like oh well because I got I got kicked by a horse I was assessing once so it was my own fault I had my hood up which I will never do again um and this horse cut a circle and kicked me in the forearm and my osteopath had to go in and mobilize that scar after because I do a lot of yoga and I went in to do a forearm plague and like basically dropped on my face because that scar had anchored down in the fascia. And when I went into a forearm plank, it moved and it sheared and it burned. And I was like, ah, Oh my God. So I went to her and she just mobilized that scar tissue. And I haven't had an issue since. So a lot of the work I do with the horses is because I've had my own head injuries. I've had my own rotated pelvis. I've had my own scar tissue. And I'm like, I remember how that felt. (laughs) And how yes. it really affected me. And then I'm like, I just, you know, I just draw parallels with the horses. So that was, you know, one of these hiding in plain sight. And sure enough, yeah, he was super grumpy. And and even after just our first session, she said she went in the stall and he was already different. And I'm like, I wonder if it's just because we've now, like, he knows that we've acknowledged the scar tissue as being an issue. And now he is feeling more receptive to, to us even being, like, around him and working with him because he's like – you guys, you finally got it. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I, I honestly yes. think they know when we know and they know when we don't. And they will receive us differently once they know that we know um, because they don't feel like they need to be, you know, as guarded about something. So that's the other layers of the nervous system
0: <laughs> that I'm starting to dive into and trying to understand. Wow, that's, yeah, that's amazing. Mm-hmm. What a cool case for mm-hmm. sure.
1: Mm-hmm,
0: Okay, so why don't, um, I've I've listened to you talk on a couple other podcasts yeah. and I've loved what you've had to say about ulcers and horses. Yeah. And so um, maybe you want to elaborate on on that a little bit because I know the horses that I see and probably everybody yeah. ulcers is kind of a, a big Huge thing Huge roadblock. I think yeah. it's really confusing for a lot of owners. So um, yeah. I would love your, your take on them.
1: Yeah. And I will actually share. So this is, I have even another perspective to add. So um, I've talked about my mare angel on some of these podcasts. So I have a, I guess she's, I'm like, oh God, how old is she now? Seven coming, eight, six, six coming, seven year old um, off the track, chestnut mare, um, who from day one, like I bought her sight unseen and she was very guarded. And, and this is when I really started to learn about ulcers initially. And She, like, if you went to touch her abdomen, you know, girth her, any of the things, very defensive. And if you went anywhere, you know, along her abdomen towards her flank, she would kick at you. So, you know, my vet had come out and um, we did two rounds of Omeprazole. I had her on visceral. And she showed improvement for sure. Um, But she never, she's always kind of had this stiffness in her body. And when I met Celeste, I was like, okay, like, this is the answer. She has thoracic sling dysfunction. And, you know, we we had her blood work done. She was a little bit low in vitamin E, so we treated her with that. And, um, you know, I've been doing the balance for movement method with her. And she just has not been unwinding the way that we expected. And um, my husband has been working with her as well because I'm very pregnant. And he was like, yeah, like there's still something here. And for him to acknowledge that, I was like, honey, I love you so much. Thank you. Because he, yeah. you know, is not always you know, kind of thinks like some of the things that I do is like, honey, I think you're just saying that there's things wrong with this horse when there really isn't. So it was kind of nice to have him work with my horse. Cause I've been saying this for the, you know, the entire time I've had her, there's still something, there's still something. And he thought it was, you know, more of a behavioral training issue. And for him to acknowledge like, you know what? No, I think you're right. I think there is still something. So I was just in Arizona um, with Celeste. And before I left, I was like, there's still something here. Like she's still not okay, but she is fat and she is shiny and she is sensitive. So yeah, she doesn't want, you know, she's very picky about her brushes and you know, like she was still like, you can tack her up and like, she's okay. But like, I was still like, I don't know. I still feel like there's still something here, but um, layers of the work is that when, when they are very dysfunctional in their thoracic sling, they can have nerve impingement. So I was like, well, At this point, this is where the kind of ulcer nerve impingement connection comes in. Well, if you've treated a horse for ulcers and they're not improving and they have thoracic sling dysfunction and you have really ripply shoulders and they look downhill and they're very tight, that can be nerve impingement. And the nerves that are getting impinged are the ones that feed the pectorals under the girth, you know, up their neck around their shoulders. So when you put a saddle on, it's, it's hard to tell sometimes, is this ulcers or is it nerve impingement? So we finally were like, you know what, I, I messaged my vet again, and I was like, hey, really, can we investigate hindgut ulcers? And A, how, how can we investigate hindgut ulcers? And she said, oh, well, I can ultrasound for them now. And I was like, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> so yeah. she had taken, because um, I asked her again when I was out, out west, um, I said, well, what like, what course? And she said, well, if any vets are wondering how to learn, look up vet PD. So I believe it's a vet professional development. I found them on Facebook. And she said, you know, if any vets are curious, like, this is where I found the course um, to learn how to ultrasound for them. Because prior to that, I thought, like, you couldn't, there was no way to really diagnose them. Um, Because obviously we can scope for the front gut ulcers. But um, I thought they were maybe trying to do advancements in blood work or stool testing for hindgut. And then she was like, no, I can just ultrasound. And it wasn't even that expensive. It was, I think, half the price of scoping. Um, so I was over the moon and then I was actually on my way to Arizona when she came out and my husband was there and he said, yep, there it was. I could see it on the ultrasound that she had an ulcer in her hind gut. So she exactly. And I was like, oh my God, like, thank God that, you know, she had this because back, you know, a couple years ago, she didn't have that skill, right? This isn't an extra skill that she, she's amazing in that way that she's always taking courses. Um, it's Dr. Brie Henderson. I will give a shout out to Dr. Brie because she's amazing. Um, and she, yeah, I took this extra course and was like, yep, here it is. So she's being treated. I can't remember the first medication, but she's also on, I can never say it. So, so fate, I can't say it properly. Um, oh, yeah. the hindgut, um, ulcer treatment. So she is now doing phenomenal. I was just doing, um, some of the pillar work with her yesterday and all of this, um, her shoulders look completely different. Her neck looks completely different her skin now moves all over her neck and shoulders, which before it was like stuck like glue and she has had PMF, she's had osteo, you know, she's had her magnesium and her vitamin E. And like, so this is where it's like, you know, as I'm going through the checklist, like, okay, I've done all the things, like what am I still missing? Yeah. And so with her, um, it was gut ulcers. And again, she's presenting like she's overweight, like well, she's not overweight, but like she's, she's a very large horse. She's definitely not skinny. Um, and she's shiny. So we were not thinking, you know, other than these other few signs of the sensitivity, but again, could be also nerve impingement. And then sure enough, it was hindgut gut ulcers. So now that we've treated her, her body is, you know, letting go of all this tension that she has. And this was, you know, there's there's multiple layers to this because if a horse is obviously uncomfortable in their abdomen, no matter what alternative therapies we've done, like I was trying, they, they can't really let go of that tension because they're guarding their core. So she was, you know, holding all this tension in her fascia and in her body, trying to kind of guard her abdomen. Um, And then once we got those guts feeling better with the right treatment protocol, she is now much happier, you know, way less sensitive. Like I can rub my hands all over her. Um, She doesn't, you know, she's not upset at all. So now I'm starting to really keep this in the back of my mind um, because, you know, this is something that, yes, it could be nerve impingement, but it also could still be hindgut gut ulcers. So when people say, well, I've done, you know, the rounds of ameprazole and it, you know, it maybe made them a little bit better, but, you know, they're still we're still seeing all of this tension in their body. I'm like, well, it could be hindgut gut too. And, you know, unfortunately not yeah. not every vet has taken this course yet. Um, but it's it's nice to know that it's now available and I'm sure there's gonna be lots of vets that are gonna be like, oh, sign me up because they do have a good ultrasound machine and then they actually, you know, will be able to confirm with diagnosis what they're treating instead of just, you know, trying, to, trying the treatment, right? Well, let's actually have a baseline to start with, and then we can, you know, recheck and see how the healing process is. And, yeah, it's, it's great because, like I said, these these nerves, so if they're getting impinged in their brachial plexus, and this is what, you know, when I met Celeste, I was just like, oh my God, like I have had (laughs) patients and coworkers that have nerve pain. Like why was this not on our radar for horses before? And and it's like their nerves are gigantic compared to human nerves and they don't have collarbones to protect that brachial plexus like us humans do. But even in us, like I was looking at a horse um, a couple weekends ago and I said, you know, have you ever heard of thoracic outlet syndrome? And the handle looked at me and said, I have thoracic outlet syndrome. And I've seen five neurologists and blah, blah blah blah, and no one can figure this out. And I said, "Have you seen an osteopath yet?" <laughs> because I'm like, <laughs> you know, there's there's still other modalities who may help, but it's it's excruciating. Um, if, yes. If anyone's had sciatica before, right? Not a good time. It's very painful. Right. You know, but unfortunately, our horses can't can't tell us that. They can, they can only tell us that through body language. So um, yeah. So with ulcers, it can be this layer of you know is it that they've gone through a stressful situation like a move or you know they don't have full access to forage um enough and they've developed ulcers which then will again create this compensation pattern of guarding um and make them stiff under saddle and end up in a bunch of postural dysfunction from the guarding or you know could they have had a birth trauma or could they be you know um being ridden or trained in a way that is not beneficial and You know, causing the thoracic sling to get worse, not better, and then they get nerve impingement, and then they develop ulcers from the nerve pain. So, this is again one of these kind of chicken or the eggs, but it's nice to know now that we have this okay, if you've been treating your horse for, let's say, front and hind gut ulcers, and you know, they get better temporarily, but then they come, why are they keep coming back? Then we can also look at this, you know, layer of nerve impingement. And rule out that pain because, obviously, if you're in chronic pain, you're going to have GI upset. It's it's pretty much – it goes hand in hand. So, yeah, it's been it's been really great meeting – I'm like, this is just one of the little nuggets that I've learned from Celeste. Yes. But, uh, yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And then, again, having gone through this myself with my own horse, you know, I don't – It's it's very, you know, I want to say easy that you're like, oh, God, how could I miss this? And you beat yourself up. But this is this is owning a horse, right? And, like, you do the best you can with what you know. Mm-hmm. And, you know, at the time that we were even bringing it up, my vet didn't have, you know, those skills or, you know, didn't think to check it at the time. I'm pretty sure, like, I haven't asked her straight up. But, um, you know, she, when I was like, oh, what about hindgut? She's like, oh, I can ultrasound for that now. So, you know, it's it's amazing that, you know, sure, we missed it, but we did try and treat them. We just didn't have the whole picture. And, you know, I think a lot of owners, when they start to learn more of these things, I'm sure you've run into this too, where owners then want to, you know, kind of be hard on themselves and, and beat themselves yes. up and be like, I can't believe I missed this. I can't believe I did this. And I just, I always say you did the best you could at the time with what you knew. And, yeah, you know, there's no benefit from us going back and, you know, having all this regret and beating ourselves up. We just have to commit to now knowing better and doing better. And, you know, we've got this extra thing to add to our list of what could be wrong with our horse. And, you know, we we keep that in mind and we keep it in mind moving forward. You know, if you ever hear someone else, you know, with a similar path and you go, oh, well, hey, well, I ended up finding this out. And then, you know, you just advocate for other horses with the new information you have. But, you know, it's, I say it's really easy to look back and go, oh my God, I can't believe I missed this and, you know, dwell and beat yourself up, but that's not going to be productive, right? Like it's not energy. Absolutely, We want to invite into our lives. We want to invite the, you know, okay, well now I know better, now I'll do better. And, uh, you know, help as many other horses as you can along the way with that knowledge.
0: I love that. Cause I do that myself. I have, client horses that I've worked on in the past. And I'm like, gosh, I just don't know. And then I mm-hmm. learned something new mm-hmm. and I'm like, that's what it was. Like that's yep. exactly what it was. Yep. But then all I can do is take that forward to the next horse. Exactly. You know, and learn exactly. From it. So yeah. Yeah. And, and that's that been, that's
1: awesome. yeah, that's been a few of the horses that I've had, you know, in hindsight, um, with behavior and luckily I'm still connected with those owners. So I'm like, Oh, Hey, like I learned this extra thing. Like we should check your horse for it. Um, but yeah, there's some where you're like, Oh God, like, yeah, I wish I, you know, would have known, but exactly. We have it and we move forward with that knowledge and it'll help, you know, how many other horses in the future. So it's, it's, you know, do the best you can with what you know, and don't beat yourself up because you were likely doing the best you could with what you knew at the time. Right. So, you know, that's all we can ask of ourselves at the end of the day.
0: Yeah, that's great. Okay. So, um, Can you explain a little bit of like the importance and the difference between like abduction and adduction in horses and the exercises like those types of things?
1: Yeah, for sure. So I won't go like too, too in depth about how to get it, but um, basically what we, what we're seeing and what even, I was in Saskatchewan and um, there was a brand new foal and I was looking at him and I haven't looked at a lot of foals in a while and this foal was born in a pasture. So he was born out on two acres. And that foal just, if you think about, you know, if you picture a foal getting up and moving around for the first time, he probably went in a lot of straight lines. And as a result, he unfolded beautifully. So when foals are born, right, they get all, well, A, they're in the womb. So they're all like, you know, packed in there. Um, But then they come out and the movement is what really helps we say like these foals unfold and so I kind of like we were sitting there. I was like oh my god this is interesting because I'm like you know there's a lot of horses that get fold out into stalls and sure maybe it'll be a yeah. slightly bigger box stall but these babies are coming out and instead of being out in a wide open space with grass that they can kind of you know flop around and find their legs and go in straight lines they're forced to go in circles and you know or bounce off walls and you know, they really, they're trying to get up and find their feet, but then they end up running around mom in circles. So when a horse is stuck in adduction, so adduction, I always think of it as the, you're bringing things back towards the body. So you're adding to the body. So if a horse is crossing its front legs, it's stuck in adduction. And then um, abduction, even for us humans, is moving things away from the body. So you're abducting, you're taking away. Um, uh, And What can happen is that if we constantly adduct our horses, we're starting to contract, you know, like like laterally, but internally, right? So we're having these horses cross their front legs, cross their front legs. And now with this awareness of this nerve bundle in their shoulder that is not protected by collarbones, um, if we're constantly adducting horses or they're living in environments where they're forced into adduction, like in a box stall, um, in order for a horse to walk around a box stall, they basically have to cross their outside leg over their inside leg right? So move in a circle. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that can cause a lot of nerve impingement in the shoulders. But just like us, like if anyone's ever gone to the gym and tried the abduction, the abduction machine, <laughs> most of us can abduct a heck of a lot more weight than we can abduct. So when you're thinking about, you know, teaching the horse to, to open their chest and move their front legs away from their body, most of them just from lifestyle are kind of stuck in abduction. And then that puts them at risk of nerve impingement. Um, and then eventually um, it compromises their spinal integrity. Because again, horses, they're, they're able to actually rotate their spine and their rib cage within their shoulders their shoulders because they don't have collarbones, but the pelvis and the sacrum yeah. are pretty joined. So if the front end is a constantly adducting and they're weighting that inside front and starting to kind of fall over, it um, puts a lot of torque in, back into the pelvis and into the lumbar sacral joint. And that can cause quite a bit of discomfort and dysfunction. And that's what we see, especially in the barrel racing world. I see a lot of hip swingers. And they're basically, um, this is what Celeste really taught me about, that, you know, horses are meant to lead their hind end with their front end. But when we see horses that are on a circle and they're floating that hind end to the outside, um, like I understood it before because a lot of people I see, they overbend the neck. And it's almost like you're putting this horse into a one-rein stop. And you're kicking the hip to the outside and, you know, at the three beat of a canter um, or a lope, you need that outside hind to be coming up underneath of you. And if you're over bending the neck, just the length of the spine forces the hip to the outside. And then she added these lenses of, but what's that actually doing structurally, right? Like it's causing all of this nerve impingement potentially. And it's really dysfunctional, super dysfunctional for the horse. So um, within our, within our method, um, well, Celeste method that I also teach now. Um, we, we really teach the emphasis before we're, you know, getting on horses that they understand how to abduct and they've started to learn how to move this front leg away from the body. And a lot of horses struggle with this quite a bit because there's no real survival. Like there's no reason for them to abduct in order to survive. Right. Um, horses, if you think about it, you know, if they're, they're a prey animal, so if they need to get away from something, um, they're going to do it quickly. And, but the idea is they're not going to do it quickly and constantly, (laughs) right? Like we're, we ask of them to do all these circles and all of these things, and then we put them in these environments, but a horse in the wild to get away from a predator will, yeah, like they will adduct, they'll cross their front legs, you know, pull their head up and try and move that front end away from a predator but there, there's no real reason for them to be independently abducting and stepping, you know, away from their body unless we train them to. And without full abduction, they can't reach full extension. So if you reach your, you know, if you go to reach your arm forward, but you can't, you know, move your elbow away and lift up and then actually reach forward, you actually, like, you can't. You can't reach as far forward. And that's what we see in a lot of horses who are struggling with toe landing, as well, yes, feet definitely play a role, but if they're tight and they can't, you know, move that scapula a little bit away from their body to reach all the way forward, then they're going to end up, you know, heavy on the forehand and stubbing their toes in the ground and really landing toe first. So, um, that you know, as a pole bender, my horse um, independently abducted, but not with his center of gravity where it needed to be. So, I would always, when I teach pole bending, even now, I when I cross through the middle, I always cross through the middle of a pole pattern and I want my horse reaching out and stepping into that outside front leg with an inside bend. So I don't ever pull my horse's face away from a pole. I I create an inside bend as I come up to a pole, I release it into the middle and I create a new inside bend, but I want their hind end following their front end. I never want them side passing and I don't want any of this. I want them basically walking and then trotting and eventually galloping these perfect diamonds through the pole pattern And so when she started talking about this, I was like, oh oh my God, like I used to do that, but I didn't pay attention to where his center of gravity was um, so much. So now I really understand that the center of gravity needs to be, you know, back, uh, you know, underneath our seat to make it easier for them to abduct. But that is how it can apply, you know, in a performance realm. And then if you think about a barrel horse, if they are stuck in adduction, they'll actually, these are the ones that really want to fall in in turns. Like they'll be, you know, getting that real good lean on. And they'll often be the ones that want to shoulder as well, because they're, they're kind of, you know, they're falling in. So what do, want, what do they want to do with their head? Well, they want to lift their head up and out to the outside to try and counterbalance. And then they end up shouldering and hitting barrels. Absolutely. So if they have really good ab- mm-hmm. abduction, these horses are able to stay um, more upright and maintain their center of balance and be a lot more smooth in the turn. And same goes for, you know, jumping horses or hunter horses. It, it, it can apply to every different performance discipline. And basically, even if, you know, if you want to ride your horse and you want them to do a circle, your horse should learn how to abduct. Um, it's very different than, you know, floating a shoulder because of where the center of gravity is. But it's super, super important, um, especially to be crad- cradling and developing some space around this nerve bundle that we're now aware of.
0: Yeah, that's great. That's great. Thank you for doing that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Kind of leading off of that, yeah. uh, in your opinion, what's one thing that horse owners can be doing better for their horses in general,
1: for their horse in general. Um, le- I would say learning how to, how to read their behavior, <laughs> um, you know, okay. becoming, yeah, I great. would say even becoming more aware of our own energy and, and, how we are communicating with them um because i would say a lot of these horses that i meet and i think it's kind of like i want to say it's like a societal thing too where we're just a little more you know disconnected and we're kind of you know like in our cell phones a lot and we're multitasking like we're definitely a generation of it's almost expected of you that you'll be multitasking um but if you're you know with your horse and you're talking to your friend and your horse is, you know, attached to you with a lead rope, and you're kind of not really paying attention to them, Um, they're like, why wouldn't they just kind of want to wander off or, you know, go do this or go do that? And I think a big piece of this is that if we gave the horses the ability to tell us how they're feeling, I feel like we would end up with a lot different conversations. And I think a lot of the issues that we see in training, in performance, in soundness, a lot of this would be not totally resolved obviously there's still multiple layers to it but if our horses could really tell us how they were feeling and you know be feeling safe with the human because if a horse doesn't feel like you're aware of them then they're going to disconnect and this is where a lot of separation anxiety comes from because when a horse is in a herd with other horses all of those horses are aware of each other like that is what gives them a feeling of safety because you now have like however many horses in a group But everyone is, you know, aware of each other and everyone is also taking a role in watching out for predators. So if we're with our horse and they don't feel like we're aware of them, they don't feel like we acknowledge, you know, any of their body language, what they're trying to tell us anything, they want to be back with their friends (laughs) because they don't feel safe with us. And sometimes that's a big pill to swallow for people to be like, oh, I didn't really realize that. And that's why the horse, you know, doesn't want to be caught or, you know, stands and fidgets or doesn't stand and fidgets in the cross ties or, or fusses or in some cases we end up with these super shutdown horses that, you know, totally just become kind of like ghosts or zombies that, you know, don't respond to anything because they're like, well, I'm not going to be hurt, so I'm just going to go in my little bubble to survive. And I think that if people started to understand that, you know, it's some very simple body language to communicate with a horse and to be aware of them. And when I learned this, that was like the complete game changer in, in my horsemanship. When oh my I could goodness. tell a horse just by like, if I'm walking, so let's say someone's taking me and their horse is in the pasture, which I'll often say, like, when I come to see your horse, leave it, like, don't bring it in. Um, you know, if it's normally turned out, leave it turned out. If it's normally in a stall, leave it in a stall. Um, but when we're walking up and the first time that that horse lifts its head or turns an ear, I will stop and I will stop the owner if they're still walking, because that is the first opportunity to create awareness. So that is my ability from, it might be a hundred feet away to say, I see that you saw me. And then that horse will see that because obviously we're approaching and then we stopped when they looked at us. And that's the first opportunity you have to offer awareness to your horse. And then by the time we get to them you know, they might have come over or they might, you know, be back to grazing. But I use that same, you know, as I enter the field and I go up to them. Um, A lot of horses are difficult to catch because people are missing all these cues and they're unintentionally driving them away. (laughs) And, you know, when I go out to catch a difficult to catch horse, um, this is the conversation that I start with them is that I'm aware of you. You You know, I see that you're aware of me and, you know, I respect that. So if I basically go up to walk up to a horse and they're looking at me, and then all of a sudden they look away. I'll stop there and I'll wait and I'll maybe even take a couple step backs to try and draw them to me, like to look at me. And then when they do, I'll stop again and then I'll try and approach. And I've had a lot of success catching a lot of, you know, really difficult to catch horses just by that awareness work. And then wow. taking that, yeah, it's it's honestly it's a total game changer. But it's like, it's like you're saying to them, like, can we have a conversation? Like I'm listening to you. Right. It's like, if you're, you're trying to talk to someone who's on a cell phone, you don't really want to have a conversation with them. Right. Because they're like half listening or they're, you know, they're, they're not really listening to you at all. They're in their cell phone. And it's, but it's almost again, expected in society that, you know, people will be multitasking, but when our horses don't know that, and you know, by just saying like, Hey, I'm here for this conversation. Like, I see you do you, what, you know, how do you feel? Let's talk about it. Um, I feel like they're so much more receptive and, and then these horses, um, there's this phenomenal, um, Leslie Desmond. She's, she, I think apprentice under Ray hunt, but she's amazing. And she said, you know, if, if no is not an option, like, or no, sorry, let me, let me rephrase that. But I love this quote. Cause it's basically like, um, if no is not an option, then is it like truly a yes? And if the horse knows that they can say no to you, the yeses are going to come that much quicker. I totally hacked that quote, but basically that's the concept of like, if we're constantly controlling them and we're not allowing them to have an opinion, um, and you know, they're just doing what we say. Is it truly like a conversation? Is it truly, you know, a relationship? Or are they just doing what we're asking them out of fear? Um, because they're going to get air quotes punished. Um, and then like with Maya, um, this horse that I got right after sugar bear, um, I bought her off a client because she was going to send her to me to train her. And I was like, well, I need a horse and she's really not okay. Uh, So why don't I take her? And she was literally sleep deprived. Like she was not feeling connected to her herd and her people. and, And she, the first thing I did with her was just offer her that awareness in her paddock. And she walked over, like, so she had fallen asleep and I walked about 10 feet from her and crouched down. And then she kind of woke up, saw I was there, walked over to me. Laid down in front of me, and then like sprawled out, looked at me, and then just passed out. Like I mean, jaw open, like fell asleep, and I was like, "Oh my god!" Yeah, I was literally like, "Oh my god!" And if anyone goes to my Instagram, that video is in there. It's just you know, I think it's from 2018, May of 2018, and I literally like just about ugly cried because I was like, "Oh my god!" Like all I did was was show her that I was listening to her, and then she felt safe enough to come over and lay down, and then. Um in my lecture I share a video of them one day then I was I was grooming her and I I do like so when I'm approaching a horse, I always start at their head and then I basically like ask to go to one side of them by going to step around them. But if they swing their head out and they block me, then they're saying I'm not comfortable with that or I you know I don't want you over there or no, so then I'll step back and I'll wait. And in some cases I had one client horse, I had to retreat like 50 feet across the arena and squat down before she would come out of her freeze and release. And in some cases, that's how much we need to take the pressure off. But basically, Maya learned that she could tell me things. So I, I caught on video one day of her asking me to scratch her mane, but I kind of missed it the first time. And then, so then I was trying to groom her. And you can see her like blocking me out and taking a step back and like trying to position me at her mane. And then I'm like, oh, you want me to scratch your mane? Okay. And then she, then, you know, I start scratching her mane and she's like, yeah thank you. Like that is what I was asking. So (laughs) it's, it's cool when you have those examples of like, you know, once you have this ability to communicate with your horse, they will ask you things like they're smart enough to, to ask things of you, but also we want them to feel comfortable enough to tell us no. Because again, if all of a sudden you've had this great horse and then you go to put the saddle on and, you know, they switch their tail and lift their head and, you know, that's them saying, Hey, like, I'm not comfortable with this. Like there's something wrong. But they've never had that opportunity to say that or you're not listening, right? The owner's not in a position to hear that um, or aware Mm -hmm. to hear that. Then you ride your horse into the point where now they buck or bolt or rear. And it's like, well, they tried to tell you, but you weren't listening. And then they, I almost think of it as like they're they're yelling. Like they're getting to that point where they have to yell at you. And that is what I kind of see buck, bolting, or rearing, is the horse has given us probably plenty of signs, but we just weren't aware of them or listening to them or dismissing them as their personality. Oh, they're just a grumpy this. Or they're just a grumpy that. Um, but then it gets to the point where they're like, I cannot. I cannot do it. So they they buck you off or they bolt or because they're so hypervigilant or... You know they rear, they won't go forward, and then they're like, "I can't go forward." And the human keeps asking, and then they're just like, "I said no," and they rear. Um, that's the way I see those behaviors, um, especially if there's a horse who did not do any of that before. It's like, okay, well, what have we missed? And um, Doctor Doctor DeClue, Doctor Audrey DeClue, have you listened to any of her podcasts? I love her podcast. Yeah, recommend it all the yes. time, right? So she's got a fantastic po- podcast on the pain behavioral she calls it the pain behavioral triangle, the pain behavioral pyramid. Um, And we have that in human medicine, but she kind of made one for the horses. And and that's basically what she goes through is that they'll give us all these little subtle things, but as we miss them and we miss them, we miss them, then they become more and more behavioral. And when I learned that horses as prey animals will intentionally hide vulnerabilities, so they will hide discomfort from us, they will hide, you know, um, for the most part, they will try and hide things because... In the wild, if you're limping, you are the target, right? If you are appearing weak or vulnerable, you become the target of the other healthy horses in the herd because that predator is more likely to get you. So when I learned this as well, um, going through the lameness I went through with my good horse originally, I was like, oh my God, all of this makes so much sense because he was all heart and like he probably would have run on a broken leg if I had asked him um, because he was just being super stoic and doing everything I asked of him. And then it just got to the point where you couldn't hide it anymore. But if I would have maybe picked up on, you know, the subtle signs before, would he have ever gotten that lame in the first place? And that's where I really want owners to realize like this behavior, these behaviors from your horses is not normal. And if they've been that way since you bought them, it's still not normal. (laughs) Like no matter what, what anyone tells you, you know, when they're trying to communicate with us, they're really telling us how they feel and, you know it's not that they they are these things it's just that's the only way they have to communicate with us is is through body language and is through you know their behaviors and through their their facial expressions their ear their ear position their head position like that's all that they have they don't have words so i think it's really important that owners um, you know are willing and open to work on that awareness and in some cases it, it involves us doing our own work on ourselves and you know, being more present in our own bodies and being more patient. And, you know, like we call it holding space. So holding space and time. So if your horse is like, you know, processing, like I'm sure when you're working on a horse, you've had a horse, you know, they go into the state of almost, it looks like they're zenned out or even some of them look sedated. And we don't want to interrupt that, right? We want to hold space for that. And in some cases it, it might be that they need to chew on the lead rope for ten minutes, but I'll you know go do that over there, or I'll I'll be here while you do that until you you know work out whatever you need to work out. But I think having this ability to communicate with our horses would would go a really long way, um, because then and I think again we wouldn't we wouldn't have as much lameness, or we wouldn't have as many behavioral problems, or we wouldn't have you know as many performance issues if we just you know, we're able to communicate with the horse because maybe then they would feel safe enough to tell us sooner that something was not okay. I think that would be Absolutely. That's a really long-winded answer, but that is my Well, no, that, that is my. That was amazing. Yeah, thank you. No, like, thank that you is for that. my. Yeah, if I could change one thing or encourage owners to do one thing, it would be to to, you know, learn how to yes. use their body language to communicate with their horses.
0: Well, thank you so much. That that was absolutely an amazing end yeah. for sure. Yeah, you're um, I so know welcome. probably people who are listening are wanting to know more. So mm-hmm. if you want to share your Instagram and maybe your website, yeah, so that yeah, for can sure.
1: Yeah, so on Instagram and Facebook, um, if you just search "balanced with Betsy." And then my website is also Balance with Betsy. So if you search Balance with Betsy anywhere on any of the, those key platforms, you will find me. And then if anyone's um, curious about learning more about the balance for movement method, um, Celeste Lelaney Lazarus is my mentor. Um, she does have a masterclass. So it's really great because it's, right now it, it is on Facebook. So we have uh, an amazing, truly supportive uh, horse community on Facebook. We're almost at, I think a thousand members and, you know, it's other people on this journey and it's not, it's, we obviously try and keep it, you know, it's a pay group. So we really keep it focused on the balance for movement method, but there's a lot of, you know, good discussion that's come up. We had an amazing hoof care practitioner do a presentation on that. Um, Catherine Lowry did an amazing presentation on rider biomechanics. So um, if anyone's also curious about learning more, I highly recommend Celeste in the masterclass, and she is um, she's the traveling horse witch. Um, <laughs> that's that's her Instagram <laughs> handle, and um, and then her her website is um, Wild Magic LLC. And you actually have to sign up for the masterclass through. Um, her website and then you get access to the Facebook group that has all of the lectures and supportive um, guides and um, and content and again like a truly safe horse community on Facebook where no one judges anyone you know we're all doing the best we can with what we know and it it is truly a safe place to ask questions so I also highly recommend um, that work as well because I would not know half of what I know I think at this point without Celeste so I always love to give her um, my appreciation and my gratitude shout out as well
0: No. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Thank you for doing that. I can can about for that. I'm in the masterclass and it's an amazing group. Oh Um, yeah. Amazing. Yeah.
1: I was wondering if you were, I wasn't sure. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really great. And I think, uh, yeah, like there's lots of people like Josh Nickel, he's in there as well, but he his view on relational horsemanship was huge for me. Obviously, Warwick Schiller was the first one that I came across, you know, and it was pretty early when Warwick was going down his journey of, you know, doing his own work and training his changing his training style and so, you know, if you're you're going down the rabbit hole, there's some phenomenal people to follow as well because I've I'm I'm the type of person that like takes and relates from lots of different people and then like pieces all that information together and um, I really like to help people. I'm very good at giving owners like the highlight reel, is what I kind of describe. It's yes. like these are your need yeah. to knows. These are your core concepts. These are, you know, as an owner, what what you can learn and know in order to advocate for your horse. And um, I think that's what I've I've definitely developed that ability as you know an emergency service educator and through my time with horses is, is how to pull out key information. Cause it's very easy to get information overload, right? Like very, very easy for that to happen. So I really try and, you know, these are the key things that, you know, as an owner for you, appreciate, you know, what may be going on with your horse. Like these are the key things to know. So yeah. Thank you so much for asking me to come on. I obviously Yeah. Thank you. I can talk to you all day. I love talking about this stuff, but yeah, no, we'll definitely yeah. have to stay in touch cuz I'm super curious about what you do as well.
0: Okay. After listening to that, I'm sure you guys realize the hype. Betsy is so incredible and I absolutely love her and and really admire her and her work. And I really love what she says at the very end about awareness. And I think that that's something we as horse owners can always do better on. And I love how she points that out for us. Please, if you can, write us a review and tell me everything that you thought about this episode. I absolutely love hearing from you guys and being able to provide more for you. Once again, I'm Morgan Stevens, your host, and this is Feelin' Fine Equine. See you next time. Bye!